too much about Abraham. Abraham is called the father of the Jews. He is called also the father of the Muslims. He is called the father of Christians. How can this be? Abraham, called by God to leave his land, his home, his family, called to go to a place he'd never been before. And when he said to God, God, where do you want me to go? God said, don't worry about it. I'll show you. So Abraham says to God, God, let me get this right. What you're saying is you want me to leave my family, you want me to leave my home, and you want me to go to a place that I've never been before, and what's more, God, you're not even telling me where I'm going. And God says to Abraham, that's right, Abraham, you got it right. Now, Will you trust me? Will you do what I'm asking you to do? And Abraham says, yes. He says, yes, I'll do it. And he packs up his family, his children, and his children are looking at their dad and they're saying, uh, uh, the, the servants and the servants' children are looking at, at Abraham, who, uh, who we call Father Abraham, and they, and they look to Abraham, and they say, Abraham, where are we going? And Abraham says, uh, I don't know, but I'll tell you when we get there. And everyone's scratching their head, and they're thinking, man, Abraham has, has finally lost it. But Abraham says, follow me. And away they go. And along the way, Abraham is tested again and again and again. You know the story maybe from Sunday school. Abraham, called by God to go to a place he'd never been before. Along the way, God speaks to him and says, Abraham, I'm going to make a covenant with you. Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I want you to look at the sky and look at all the stars in the sky. Now, in Winnipeg, it's kind of hard to see too much in the sky, and it's not that impressive. But if you ever go to the countryside and look at the sky, the sky is literally dotted with stars, incredible numbers of stars. It's really quite breathtaking. And Abraham's looking at these stars, and God says, Abraham, your offspring are going to be like the stars in the sky too numerous to count. You will be the father of many nations. And Abraham says, God, that sounds great. There's only one problem. I don't have any kids. And God says, don't worry about it. We'll take care of that. And so Abraham continues to trust God. He continues to trust Him because he's discovering that God is good. And because God is good all the time, Abraham obeys God. So Abraham and Sarah and all their servants and their servants' children head out. 
going where God is guiding them. And they really don't know really where it is that God wants them to go, what God wants them to do, but they obey. They do what they're supposed to do. Now, one day uh, an angel appears uh, to Abraham and gives Abraham some news and says, um, Abraham, your wife's, uh, your wife's going to have a baby. And this is a private meeting. This is just between Abraham and the angels, right? Abraham, you're going to have a baby. And all of a sudden, Abraham hears some giggling in the background and doesn't pay any attention to it, has no idea what it's about. But God reveals to Abraham that his wife laughed when she heard the news. Now, why did she laugh? Well, I'll tell you why. Because she was way past child-bearing years, way past. But they trust God. They believe God. Nothing's happening, nothing's happening, nothing's happening. And then finally, Sarah said, you know what? <laughs> like, I thought we were supposed to have kids, Abraham. As if it's Abraham's fault. So Sarah, taking matters into her own hands, says, Abraham, I want you to take my servant girl, Hagar. Take her for the night. Anybody who thinks the Bible is prudish has got to read the Bible. He goes and has a one-night stand, as it were, with the servant girl. And because she's a servant girl, if she... If she has a baby, then that baby automatically becomes Sarah's child. She has a child. The child's name is Ishmael, the father of the Arabs, and consequently of most Muslims by blood. Interesting. This is why the Muslims call Abraham their father, but they have a very different interpretation of history. And Abraham says, oh, well, we got this thing sorted out. Finally, God's will is being done. I got it all figured out. How many know that when you take matters into your own hands, you're asking for trouble? How many know what I'm talking about? Does anybody know today what modern-day Israel's greatest problem is? The offspring of Ishmael. God says, no, Ishmael is not the son of my promise. And so what happens is Ishmael and Hagar are sent away. And just so you don't think that God is unkind or unjust, God, the Bible says, appears to Hagar and says, don't worry, I'm going to bless you and your seed as well. Abraham and Sarah finally have the child of their dreams, and his name is Isaac. And you know what his name means? She laughed. <laughs> Abraham was 100 years old, Stan. <laughs> and, and, uh, 
Did I hear Shauna laugh? <laughs> no, I won't pick on you, Shauna. And Sarah was 90. 90 and 100 years old. And they had their little child. Now it's pushing it. That's really pushing it. I don't know if we have any 90-year-olds here. Or any 100-year-olds here. The Bible says that's how old they were when they had little Isaac. Time goes on and Abraham is being tested again. And God says to Abraham, Abraham, I want you to go and I want you to take your son. Let's read that verse together. Then God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. What? Is that really in the Bible? What on earth? What kind of a God would request something like that? It's absurd. It's crazy. It's even offensive, isn't it? Imagine God asking you to sacrifice one of your children. Well, some of you might be willing to do that. I don't, I don't know. Rather rough week. But when it comes right down to it, no way. No way. But God says, Abraham, take your son, your only son, your one and only son, Isaac, whom you love. And, and so that's what he does. He takes his son with him and his servants, and they're going to a place called Moriah, to the place that God has appointed or ordained. The place where God wants this to take place. By the way, the word Moriah means ordained, ordained of God. Interesting. Abraham finds the place, and he tells the servants, just, you just wait here for me. And he takes his son Isaac, who's carrying the sticks on his back. They get up to the top of the mountain, and his son's scratching his head and saying, Dad, I know we're coming to sacrifice, but I don't see an animal around here. And his son says, or his father says, Son, help me build the altar until they get some stones together. They build the, they build the altar. And then after that, Abraham says, give me the sticks off your back, son. And he put the sticks on the altar. And then Abraham says, son, God's asked me to do something. that is beyond my understanding. I don't understand it. I don't get it. But I know this. It's what God wants. Son, would you turn around, please? The son turns around and Abraham ties his hands together. And he helps his son get on to that altar with his sticks. Abraham pulls out his long knife and he's about to... Could you go back to that slide, Taryn? goes, gets ready to, to, to kill his son. When suddenly an angel appears and says, don't do it. Don't harm him. Don't harm your son. Abraham drops the knife. You can imagine how relieved the son was. And God says something very, very interesting. He says, now I know, Abraham, now I know that you trust me 
and know me so well that you are willing to obey me. Let your son go. It was a test. And then suddenly, there stuck in the bush is a ram. And at that moment, Abraham recognizes that God has provided a sacrifice. Now for those of us who don't know the New Testament, not a lot of this makes sense. But once you begin to understand the plan, the great purpose of God, you begin to recognize that these are shadows of what is to come thousands of years later. God will provide a ram. God will provide a lamb. And his name is Jesus. This is a shadow, my friends, of what is to come. Do you want to know where Mount Moriah is? Look at this. It's right there. It's called the Temple Mount. It's the place of worship, the place where sacrifices took place. It was a place of worship. Let's look at that next slide. We call this the Wailing Wall. It's all that's left of the old temple structure. And there, the Jewish people come to worship on that side of the wall. And on the other side of the wall, the Muslims worship at what is called the Dome of the Rock. Let's go back for a second. You see that, that golden dome building? That is, I went into that building back in the 80s. Inside is a massive rock, which the Muslims believe that Muhammad uh, left, I think it's Muhammad left the earth and went into heaven. Go forward again, please. It was here many years ago that Israel worshipped and made sacrifices to God. And some believe that in the last days before Christ returns, that somehow Israel will reinstitute sacrifices here. But here's, here's what's even more significant. It was here on Mount Moriah that Jesus was crucified. Did you know that? Let's look at this next verse. It says, Then God said, Take your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. And now look at that next verse. Can you say it with me together? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Now go back to that other verse again. Then God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. Now go back again. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Do you get the parallel this morning? What happened on Mount Moriah is a shadow of what is to come. It was a prophecy of the coming of one who would take away the sins of the world, who would provide for you and for me. Now, if you're sitting here this morning, 
and your faith is not where it needs to be, I want to encourage you once again with the story of Abraham to put your faith in God once again. Jesus was sent by God. And here is where he died. It's a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Can you see the skull? Interesting, isn't it? There's the place of the skull. And there, Jesus was crucified, sacrificed for you and for me. I want to tell you something right now before we go any further. Unless the Spirit of God opens your eyes to help you understand this, it seems crude, it seems unnecessary, it may seem uh, like God is bloodthirsty, it might seem as though it doesn't make sense, it may seem undignified, it may, it may seem unsophisticated, it may seem like something that only ignorant people would embrace. This is exactly why the Apostle Paul calls this the message of the cross an offense. It is offense. It's an offense to those who are perishing. But here's the thing. God took no pleasure in this because we just finished reading that God loved his son, his one and only son. Then why would he do it? I'll tell you why. Because there is a death penalty on every one of us. Each and every one of us deserve death. Because of our sin. And God loved you too much and said, I don't want you to die. I don't want to lose my creation. And so he sent his own son to die in our place. Abraham had faith. He trusted God. He believed God. And then we read this amazing verse, verse 14, and I'd like you to read it with me. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. Do you know today that God wants to provide for you and meet your needs? The very first need that He wants to meet is your need of salvation. He wants to take away your guilt and He wants to take away your shame. He wants to take away your pain. He wants to meet your financial needs, your physical needs. God wants to provide for you because He's a Father. That's how He reveals Himself. And Abraham, Father Abraham, is that shadow of who God is or that model. Now let the Spirit of God speak to your heart this morning because there's some here today who don't understand or recognize God as Father, as one who wants to provide for you and meet your needs, as one who wants to take care of you, who, as one who wants to answer your prayers and help you through this life. How many people come to church on a regular basis have no idea of the relationship that God the Father wants to have with them. And so I want to tell you this morning, God does want to provide for you. 
And some of you are sitting here today and you've got tremendous need. And it, it may be financial need. It may be uh, an inner emotional need. You're depressed. You're down. You're feeling overwhelmed by life. You feel like you can't go on another day. You feel like there's no hope. Tomorrow is nothing but a, but a thing to be afraid of. Maybe you're, you're feeling like your marriage is in massive trouble. You don't know what you're going to do. Your family situation is not good. Your job, I don't, I don't know. But you know. And I want you to know today that God is here to help you, to provide for you. This is the simple gospel. This is the simple faith that we accepted when we became Christians. And God wants to meet this need. We are in this series called Cross Church Goes to the Mountains. On the mountaintop, it's a place where God seems to meet with his people, where he seems to, to talk to them and share with them. And the only way that that's going to happen, my friends, is if you take time to go to that mountain top experience. You say, Pastor, I can't climb a mountain. You don't expect me to go and climb a mountain, do you, Pastor? But no, no, I'm not asking you to, to climb a literal mountain. What I'm asking you to do is to take the time to get away alone with God so that God can speak to you. So you can get to that place where you hear him speaking to your heart. And we see that this is what God does from Genesis to the Revelation. We see, as we said last week, Noah meeting with God, Mount Ararat. We see in the book of Revelation, Revelation 22, we see John the Baptist, or John the Revelator, not John the Baptist, John the Revelator meeting with God, and God shows him the new Jerusalem coming out of, out of heaven. The mountain place. Where it's just you and God. When's the last time you met with God and you experienced his presence powerfully? When's the last time you met with God and you, and you, you know that you know that you heard his voice and you feel refreshed and encouraged? Do this is what God wants for your life? God wants to provide for you just as he provided for Abraham. And how does he do it? How is it that Abraham experiences and knows the provision of God in his life? Because if you read the story of Abraham, you'll discover that Abraham, after having leave, left everything behind for God, God blesses him powerfully, mightily. He becomes literally one of the wealthiest men in the Middle East. God blesses him in ways that you and I cannot even begin to imagine. Do you know today God wants to provide for you in the same manner? Oh, I'm not saying God wants to make you make us a congregation of, of uh, Bill Gateses, although I'd be up for that. Could imagine the tides. <laughs> That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a sense of God's help and strength and provision, so that you know that your needs are met and you feel that inner contentment that the world just cannot give. God wants to provide for you that way. 
And so here, I've got to ask you that question this morning. Do you, are you sitting here feeling content in your heart? Are you sitting here this morning feeling that you are fulfilled? Or do you feel an emptiness in your heart? Do you feel that you know, things just aren't right? If you're feeling like things just aren't right, if you're feeling like things aren't what they need to be, then it's time for you to get, go to the mountain and hear the voice of God. It's time for you to experience the provision that comes through Jesus Christ. Because that's what our faith is really all about. So how do you experience that provision in your life? Well, first of all, you need to do what Abraham did. You need to trust God. Do you trust him? Do you truly, truly trust God? Some people may not know this, but you, you think of Moses, we think, man, oh, there's, a good, there's a man that truly trusted God. Well, the Bible says he didn't always trust God. In fact, the Bible says in the, in the book of Numbers that because Aaron and Moses didn't honor God by trusting him, they were not allowed into the promised land. Trusting God is absolutely essential if you want to know God's provision and help and strength and guidance in your life. You have to trust him. Some of us here today are preventing the blessing of God on our lives because we don't trust God. This is why Solomon in the Proverbs says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. Some of you are here today feeling confused, mixed up. You don't know which way to go. You don't know what's up. You don't know what's down. And here's what God's saying to you today. God's saying, would you just trust me? Would you trust me by hearing my voice and, and doing what I say? Will you trust me? God's calling you. To do what he tells you to do, even when it feels terribly uncomfortable. Is there someone in your life that God's calling you to forgive? How many know today that forgiving people is not an option? Do you know that? This is not something that you say, well, you know, this one deserves it, so I think I'll forgive him. But she surely doesn't deserve it, so I'm not forgiving her. How many know that, that there is no conditions? It's forgive. In fact, this is what Jesus teaches us to pray. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. God's asking you to forgive. You say, I can't forgive. It's, it's been too difficult. The struggle has been too hard. And, God, here, and God's saying this, trust me. Trust me. He's saying, will you trust me in this? Forgive. Last week I told you about a very personal uh, matter in my own life, someone in my family with whom I have had a very difficult time and felt so tempted not to forgive, so tempted to hold a grudge. And guess what? legalistically speaking, I would be justified in not forgiving because that person 
have been very, very offensive to me over the past 20 years. And uh, God told me to forgive that person. And I did. You know, I told you about it last week. I told you how I got a phone call from that person. What I didn't tell you is that immediately after the service last week, I was, Gloria and I were going to that home. And we went to the home, and we had a meeting, eyeball to eyeball, face to face. And I sat there and listened to that person say to me, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But it took me to trust God It took me to forgive that person without any promise that they were going to say sorry to me in return. I didn't know that. But this person said sorry to me. But I trusted God and took the first step. Are you willing to trust God and do what he says to do? He says, prove me, test me in this. Give the, give the first fruits of your income. God calls you to tithe, to give to the work of God. Are you prepared and willing to do that? You say, I can't afford it, God. I, I could, I'll do anything you want, but don't ask for any money from me. And I know someone sitting here today saying, I knew the pastor would get around to asking for money sooner or later. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. God doesn't need your money because God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns it all. God owns it all. But wait, here's what's got to happen is that you need to give for your sake, for your own spiritual well-being, your own spiritual development. God's calling you to trust Him and giving, say, just 10% of your income or more. God's saying, trust me. Trust me that I will provide for you. That's what, the, that's what the prophecy of Malachi is all about. God says, trust me and I'll throw open the floodgates of heaven so that you'll have more than you could ever use. Do you trust God? Do you trust Him? God's calling you to do a difficult thing. It's completely outside of your realm of comfort. It's not according to your plans. You had your plans all sorted out and suddenly God just threw a wrench in the system. Anybody know what I'm talking about? God does that. If you want to make God laugh, tell Him your plans. (laughs) Hello? How many know that that following God is not going to God and telling Him, God, here's my plans, and I'll bless them. And I'm not going to be happy, and I'm not going to worship your praise until you bless me, bless my plans. That's not how God works. What God wants you to do is learn how to pray what Jesus prayed. Not my will, but thine be done. That's what it means to be a Christ follower. And Abraham, Father Abraham, sets the pace for us. He teaches us what it means to walk by faith. God says, go, and Abraham says, yes, sir. Without any sarcasm there. (laughs) Yes, Lord, I'll go. I'll do it. He trusts God. And away he goes. Are you willing to say, Lord, this is not what I want, but God, I'm going to do it because it's what you want. Has God thrown a monkey wrench into your works recently? <laughs> Trust Him. 
Don't lose heart. Don't get angry. Don't pout. Don't whine. Just say, Lord, you are good all the time. Well, that leads me to my second point this morning. The only way that you can truly trust God is that you have to know God. And this is why God, why Jesus, in the prayer, just before he went to the cross, he kneels before the Father and he says this. This is the prayer he prays. He says, Lord, this is eternal life, that they may know you and the one that you have sent. You know, you'll never truly be able to trust God until you learn to know him and his character. And God, I want you to know, is good all the time. I had, my, I had a real revelation. It was at my stepsister's funeral. Some of you know the story in our family. Amber, just a new, newly married, not very old, passed away just in her early 20s. She had cancer. And... Um, I remember Pastor Barber saying, God does all things well. And I, I, was, I was sitting there, I was actually, I was, I was weeping, I was very upset. But he said those words, God does all things well. And then he said, the tears that you are crying are tears you're crying for yourself. Because Amber is safe in the arms of Jesus. It was, it was one of those moments that changed my thinking and my understanding. Because although I didn't understand what God was doing and why this would happen, I did know this, that God's character is excellent. It's good. And he does all things well. And even when I don't understand, he's calling me to trust him. But you'll never be able to trust him until you know him. And this is why it's so utterly important for you to be a people of prayer and a people of the word. And this is why the Apostle Paul says this. this he says, this is my ambition. This is my, my desire. That I may know Christ and the power of His resurrection and to somehow share in the fellowship of His suffering. This was the Apostle Paul's great ambition. And by all, by all accounts, the Apostle Paul had it all. And he lists all his achievements. In the book of, of the, in the letter to the Philippians, he lists all of, all of his achievements. He's of the tribe of Benjamin. He's a, he's a, a Pharisee. He's perfect. He's never broken the law. And the list goes on. But he says, I count all of this as dung. In other words, I count it all as being worthless compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. Let me ask you this morning, where are you at? in your relationship to Christ. When's the last time you prayed? When's the last time you read your Bible? And can you say with the Apostle Paul that the greatest desire, the greatest longing in your heart is to know Christ? 
Because you'll never be able to trust God with your life until you get to know Him and how great He is. You'll never be able to trust God with your children's lives, with your marriage, until you get to know how good and how great He is. You'll never be able to trust God until you learn that He is absolutely 100% dependable. My God has never failed me yet. Would anybody say amen to that? Would you say that's your experience? He's never failed me yet. Now, there's some things I don't understand. There's some things that I still can't get my mind around. There's some things I don't get. But I do know this, that God is good all the time. And because I know that about my God, I can trust Him. Now, You look at the prophet Habakkuk. Anybody ever hear of Habakkuk? There's a, a book of the Bible we don't hear about too often. When's the last time you were reading in Habakkuk? And some of you are saying, I didn't know that there was a Habakkuk in the Bible. Don't put your hands up if you're one of those people. <laughs> He's one of the, well, you know, to be fair, there's only three chapters there. But Habakkuk comes to God and he's got some complaints and some real struggles. And he says, God, like, where are you and what are you doing? Has anybody ever prayed that? What is going on? Everything's falling apart. Everything's collapsing. It's giving in. This doesn't make any sense. God, I mean, I'm your child. I'm, I'm supposed to be a chosen one. I'm supposed to be one of the elect. And this is what i got to go through? Hello, God, where are you? That was Habakkuk. He starts out this, this discourse. How many know that you can go to God and you can pour out your heart to Him? You can tell Him what you're really thinking? How many know that? How many know that you're not going to hurt God's feelings? Now, I'm not saying go be blasphemous or anything, but you can go before God and you can pour out your heart to Him. He's not afraid of that. In fact, He tells you to come, come to Him and reason with Him. So Habakkuk does that very thing. He says, God, what is going on here? This land that you call me to be a prophet to, these people, they're, they're suffering, they're struggling, they're, there's famine in the land. But he goes through this discourse, and then finally, at the very end of the chapter, and it's, it's, it's some of my absolutely favorite verses, Habakkuk says, he comes to the conclusion, because he knows God, he says, God, even though there's, there's, no, there's no grapes on the vine, and there's, there's no cattle in the fields, and the, the sheep are, are nowhere around, even though everything looks disastrous, still, I'm going to trust you. My friends, that's what true faith is. Built on a knowledge of who God is. And you'll never be able to trust God. You'll never be able to trust Him for His provision in your life until you learn to trust Him and to know Him. Abraham, on that mountain, about to finish his son off, feels the arm of the angel keeping his arm back. And there is a ram caught in the bushes, and Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. You need to trust God. You need to know him. 
But I've got to tell you one more thing before I let you go this morning. You have to obey him. You've got to do what he says. You see, because here's, here's the thing. You always will do whatever you believe. And you will not do what you don't believe. Did you know that? You can say you believe that God will provide for you and meet your needs, but you can't really say that until you step out in faith and do what he tells you to do. And this is what God is looking for. Because here's the thing. To obey is better than... Can I say that one more time? To obey is better than sacrifice. More important than than sacrifices is your obedience to God. Did you know that? Saul learned that the hard way. Saul, the very first king of Israel, called by God to lead his people. And every time God gave him instructions, he either chose not to do it or he chose to do it his own way. And finally the prophet of God appears to Saul with a message from the Lord, and the Lord says to Saul, Saul, to obey is better than sacrifice. And Saul lost the help and the provision of God in his life. And no longer, no longer did he have God's favor or approval. I wonder how many of us here today are in a position where we are putting God's provision on the line. Do you, are you risking it all because you'd rather do it your own way? God says, obey me. Trust me. If you knew me, you could trust me. And if you trusted me, you would obey me. And those who obey God are the ones that advance in their spiritual life. They're the ones that go forward in their spiritual walk with God. They're the ones that discover God's rich provision every step of the way. I can remember when we first came to this church. We were over on Elgin Avenue. Are there any of the Elgonites here? There's a few. There's a few. Just a few. We're just a handful of people. And really, <laughs> went to a, we had our financial advisor. Denny will get a kick out of this. Went to our financial advisor, and he says, um, I'd like to help you, get your, help you get your finances in order. I'd like to help you um, get your, you have a plan for your life. So we sat down, and he said, okay, um, how many children would you like to have? And yeah, three, four, whatever. Good, good, good. And then he looked at our salary, and he said, actually, you can't afford to have kids. <laughs> you better not have any. I want to tell you something, my friends. That was the end of our relationship with that financial advisor. Because I've got a greater financial advisor who has provided to meet my needs and help me every step of the way. And you may be here today thinking, I can't make it. 
I can't go ahead. Tomorrow looks hopeless. I am not going to know. Listen, my friends, trust God. And that's what Gloria and I did. We trusted God. And we had the kids our financial advisor told us not to have. And God has met our need every step of the way. But did you know that God's provision isn't dropped in your lap all at once? It's step by step, day by day, as you need it. And wow, watch the blessings flow. If you obey God, this is a sign of your faith in him. This is your, a sign that you trust him, that you believe him. And the Bible says this, that Abraham obeyed God. He believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Your righteousness, my friends, does not come in doing the things that you think you should be doing. Your righteousness comes in believing God and doing what he tells you to do. Did you know that? We're really, really good at being good. We know how to do good things, right? We know how to get involved in helping the poor and cleaning up the neighborhood. We know how to get involved in, in politics. We know how, <laughs> some of us are really good at that. <laughs> we know how to do good things. But do you know that in heaven there is not an angel with a scorecard checking off every time you do a good deed? That is not what God's looking for. What God's looking for is your obedience. And that's where the blessing of God comes from, when you do what God wants. And so many of us have deluded ourselves into thinking, as long as I'm doing good things, as long as I'm helping, as long as I don't commit adultery, as long as, as, long as I, I commit, keep the Ten Commandments, as long as I, as long as I am an usher, as long as I help clean the church, as long as I'm nice to people, then everything's cool. This is not the criteria, my friends, that gets you the blessing of God. It's a God wants you to obey him and do what he says. Are you prepared and willing to do that? Because even now, as I'm speaking to you, the Holy Spirit is touching your heart and showing you, telling you, something that you need to do by faith. It's not an easy thing you need to do, but God wants you to do it. When you go here today, God, God wants you to go and forgive somebody. Somebody that you've been holding a grudge against. When you go from this place, God wants you to write a check. can't believe I'm saying this, but I'm going to say it anyway, because this is spiritual, my friends. He wants you to, pro to provide for the kingdom of God. He wants you to give towards the work of God. He wants you to go and share your faith with someone, a neighbor, a friend, a family member. He wants you to embrace that new thing he's brought into your life that you find extremely uncomfortable and you're saying, God, I don't understand this and God is saying, trust me. And he's looking for you to say, Lord, I will trust you. He's looking for you to do that thing that he called you to do. The things maybe are not working out the way you're expecting them, the way you expected them to. But God's calling you to trust him and to obey him.
Would you bow your head with me, please? Father, we pray right now that you would speak to our hearts because we want to know your provision and your blessing in our lives. We want to see our needs met. We want to see our children blessed and, and cared for. We, we, we want to see a healthy marriage and healthy family. God, we, we want to know your provision just as Abraham knew your provision. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. God, we pray that every mountain we see will be a reminder of your provision. Every time we see a mountain, may we be reminded of your provision, and may we be reminded of what it takes to enjoy the provision of God in our lives. Trusting you, knowing you, and then obeying you. Let's stand together.